This episode of Tales from the Gemini, I have a chat with my buddy, Andrew Wheeler. Andrew Wheeler has some of the most iconic shots in MotoGP. We talk about MotoGP and motorcycle racing, obviously, but this episode is so much more than that. We talk about life, loss, how you deal with the loss, uh, just everything. I, I love this episode. I really did. I hope it, it put a lump in my throat that's still there, and I hope you guys enjoy this. So enjoy my chat with my friend and my buddy, Mr. Andrew Wheeler. Here we go. Yes. Oh, uh, this never gets old. Never gets old. One, two, three. Yes. Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. And let me tell you something. I am so excited right now for my guest. And it's, it's, I do this every week. And by the way, thank you guys for the wonderful messages. I do this every week. You would think, I, you know, it's this old hat to me, but I still get nervous when I get guests. And for some reason, the English guys intimidate me more than anybody. And this next guest, I know the guy. He's a fun guy. And I, don't, I couldn't sleep last night. I'm trying to get everything right. I mean, he, Dave Emmett and this guy right here intimidate me more than anybody. I don't know why. But you've seen his pictures. His, uh, I'm sorry, not pictures. His photography. He is a photographer, a world traveler, and now an accomplished chef. Let's welcome to my show, Mr. Andrew Wheeler. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing, hey, man, I'm doing great. Where are you at right now, by the way? Is that a parlor? Where are you at? No, it's my it's my cottage in Texas. You have a cottage? A cottage. You have a cottage. Well, it's, a, it's a tiny house, but I like to be quaint and call it a cottage. That is bigger than a two of Oh, no. Rooms. That's the East Enders pub background. Yeah, that's a- <laughs> <laughs> I- <laughs> so are, is that your house or is that a... Or is that a- no, I was a toss-up between the TARDIS and a pub, so I went with the EastEnders pub. <laughs> Is that in Texas or in England? You're in Texas or in England? I'm in Texas. Oh, you, oh, you didn't go to Silverstone. You didn't go to Silverstone. No, well, there, there's just there, the, the photographer's paddock is really being locked down. So even though I can travel anywhere in the world with actually no problem whatsoever, you know, there's only a limited amount of photographers. They're allowing in the paddock. So, you know, I'm just here with my cat. <laughs> oh, are we metaphorically speaking or you really have a cat there? You really have a cat? No, I have a cat. She's right here asleep on the sofa. Let me, oh, oh, oh sleep. Okay, don't, don't, don't wake the cat. Don't, don't no, no, because she'll, she'll just start crawling over everything. Okay, well, that's good, Andrew. Man, let me tell you something. I've known you. I first really, really, really got into MotoGP around 2000, I think, six. And it's like you're synonymous with GP for me, for me, I think of you. I think of Dave Emmett, and it, it, that's just—I mean, from 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 the get go, and Bradley Smith, and that's all I remember about from the very inception of me getting back into motorcycle racing. I think of you, and you've always been so great to me. And I found out that you got into photography. You were in by accident, and it was the original horsepower with a horse. Yes. So g- give me that yes. story. Well, I, I. Used to do, you know, photography at school back way when. And um, I, what happened was we had a horse, Emily and I, my dearly departed wife, we had a horse and she founded where, in other words, her hooves collapsed. So our vet did actually decided not to put her down, but our vet took x-rays of her feet and I took photographs of her feet so that we could plot the growth of her hooves as they came back. Anyway, one night I, I bought a, a point and shoot, really high quality point and shoot Canon digital camera. I started taking pictures of people's horses, his portraits. And people go, oh, those are really good. So they paid me for them. So I sold enough to buy my first digital SLR, a Canon D60. And then one Christmas, Emily and I, we had one of those come to Jesus chats about money. And she said, why don't you go and photograph uh, motorcycle racing because she loves motor. I've loved motorcycles since I was little. She, she's a, she's a, she was a gearhead. She said, "Go to Laguna Seca and photograph testing." So I thought, "All right." So I went to Laguna Seca, came back after the when they used to test in the winter. Right. Came back, went through the pictures with Emily. She said, "These are good. Why don't you send them somewhere?" So I contacted Matthew Miles. It's Cycle World. Okay. 
And he loved what I did. And from that day onwards, that was in 2005, they effectively got me to races to, to cover the AMA in the US. And you know, that, that from that point onwards, it, it's just sort of snowballed. Then I did Road Racer X with Chris Jonham mm-hmm. and, and the AMA stuff with Cycle World. And then that's when I became friends with, you know, a lot of riders and mechanics and Paolo Giovatti and Ducati and, and everything else because they were part of Ducati Austin. Fast forward to 2010 when Ben left World Superbike because I did a year of World Superbike following him around. Mm-hmm. When Ben left World Superbike, Road Racer X went belly up and then I moved to GP full-time freelance. Well, take me back so to I went working. Actually, I did, I did cars today too. It was a, a little nod out to Robin Miller as well, who, who died today. So. Oh, man. That, I saw you post that, and that just hit me hard because I, um, I wasn't even expecting that, and I loved Robin but Miller. I, 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 I only shot five kart races with LAT, and, uh, but that was, that was good. So I did kart, a little formula, two, two, three, two races in Formula One, and then I went, like I said, I went from horses to kart, to, to to motorcycles to you know no, oh, what, so that's that's. Well, take me back to the beginning, growing up. How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? I mean, what was your upbringing like? How'd you get into motorcycles? I know any. I know nothing about your like when you were a wee baby. Like, what were you like as a baby? Ah, well, my my mum and dad, my dad Les and my mum Sheila, um, they met on motorcycles. They were uh, it's. What they use, what they call the civil defense, which is kind of like the national guard, but without guns. <laughs> and uh, we, we my, call them security both my guards. mum and dad. Were just, sorry, we call them security guards in the United States. Well, <laughs> well, these are these are people. It's like the home 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 defense army type thing. Okay. So when when my mum and dad they they actually were both dispatch riders on motorcycles. They met, and you know, obviously fell in love and all the rest of it. I was, I was born at about seven. My dad, we used to go to Breen Beach and uh, which is not far from where I grew up in Bath in the UK. Okay. And we used to go to Breen Beach and my dad taught me how to ride a motorcycle on the beach. I was only seven and this, this little tiny thing. So, and then he taught me how to drive a car when I was eight and it just got from there. And so, you know, I've always had motorcycles in my life. Um, you know, aside from a really bad accident when I was 16, I got hit by a drunk driver and I was in hospital for a long time. I, I still, I just love them. I think they're the best thing on this planet. So, so when it came to photographing them, I was still in awe, you know, I mean, it, it never gets old, even though I take pictures and I've been to the, most of the tracks on the planet and everything else. Right. I still stand there with my mouth open because it's just, I'm just gobsmacked by it all. You know, I mean, it, there's, not, there's nothing it, like a motorcycle. Nothing. It just nothing. gives me goosebumps to, every to day, time. Still. You know, to this yeah. day. Sorry. To this day, still, it gives you goosebumps. Oh hell yeah! Really? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's just, you know, there was. I don't know. I, I can I tell you this story with school. Okay, it's, go ahead. Uh, you know, you have like career days at school here in the U.S. Well, there's not really career days at school in the UK. They kind of time them when you have your physical, you know, where they sort of, you know, test you and give you injections and everything else. And then the, the, what was funny was the, the, the person that was interviewing me said, well, what do you want to be when you leave school? And I said, I'd like to be a Formula One driver. And the guy did, he laughed himself off the seat. And I'm thinking, no. No, I, I want to race cars. My, my dad was a fireman and did fire service at Castle Coombe, which yeah. is near, and it was a racetrack in the UK because uh-huh. he was a fireman. Uh-huh. And uh, he was like, don't say, well, anyway, so then he, he sort of calmed down and then he went, well, if you can't be a Formula One driver, what would you like to be? And I said, I'd love to rob banks. And he goes, what? I said, yeah, I've always had this thing about tunneling underground to get into a bank on a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked completely, I mean, he, are you serious? I went, well, it was, it's something that I've often dreamt about. And it was like. 
<laughs> you wanted to rob a bank. You wanted to tunnel on yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I hate guns and stuff, so there would be no violence involved. It would be just a question of, you know, going underground, getting a bit dirty, going up through the cellar, you know, kind of like there's a movie called The Bank Job with Jason Stratham. Yes, yes. It's that sort of deal. You go in over the weekend, get a Chinese, <laughs> a takeaway of some sort, you go upstairs, you do your stuff, and then you go out, you know? No harm, no foul. So, so, on, a long, so on a long MotoGP weekend, <laughs> after the bikes are done, you just go and stake out a bank, and go rob a bank, and that's <laughs> the weekend. Oh, he's stuck. Come on, Andrew. Come Ian back. McShane. You know, it was there was a there was, Oh, come on. Still never recovered all the gold. And then again, it was another weekend tunneling job. You know? But that's you know, it's kind of like far from the left and far from the right. You know, it was just like, well, if I can't do that, I'll do this, you know? So <laughs> did, you, did your parents know that you wanted to rob a bank? Did your parents know that? I don't I don't I don't think I ever shared that thought with them, but you know, it's something I shared it with Emily. You know, she she would always laugh. She goes, "That good one," you know. I mean, you know, then she it was just, just it was just the same sort of level of excitement as riding a motorcycle, you know. <laughs> that is something I would never think of you to rob a bank or to do a bank. He goes Formula One racer or rob a bank. <laughs> But it was just like he laughed at me so much. It was like, well, I'll show you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I never would have thought that from you, Andrew. I never would have thought that from you. And you know, oh, it's all these dark secrets. That is it. That's a great dark secret. That's something you don't know about you. A great photographer and uh, an aspiring bank robber. I think. <laughs> Right. Now, let me ask you something. Now, I knew you, yeah. and I don't know if you want to go down this road or not, but I just, uh, how did you come about meeting uh, your wonderful wife, Emily? I mean, if you don't want to talk about it, that's great. I, yeah. I totally understand it. But I just remember there's an iconic picture of you when you're on that scooter, and she's looking at you, and there's, a, and there's that laugh that only two people who are really in love will understand. And I mean, that, that picture, I thought about that last night, and it's still, it it hits me in a deep place in my heart, but in a good place. I just remember that picture. You're on your scooter, and you can tell it's that moment that two people in love have, and she's looking at you like, and you can tell she's kind of shaking her head, but she's laughing. And I think that picture- You mean, me, that, that's the one that, right, that uh, Graham Brown took at Miller, correct? We're, we're I think is that it, the one you mean? Yeah, I think you're in. I think you're in a paddock. I think, and you're on the scooter. Oh no, no, no! That was at Kota, and I was, I was, I was messing around with her, you yes. know, and stuff. So yes, yeah, we, she, she. It was one time we had a, a friend of ours lent us a Kawasaki ZX what ten ZX ten R. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Same model, yeah. And <laughs> she said, "Can I come with you?" I went, "Sure." So that thing does like 90 miles an hour at first, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah. it, they're insane. So we're coming off of, we're in, we were living in Capitola at the time and getting onto, onto Highway 1 South from 41st Avenue. And I'm on the on-ramp at like 98 miles an hour. I can hear Emily behind in the helmet going, whoa, ho, ho. She's, she's like screaming her head off. I mean, she just... She she loved the sound of the you know that that what they call the UJM the Universal Japanese Multi Cylinder Motorcycle Engine. She loved that that engine sound, you yeah. know. And yeah. uh, you know she she loved motorcycles. She could she, we we taught her to ride a dirt bike at Hollister. Me and Mo Murray, or well, Mo Murray and then me. But and she fell off and found it funny. Really? You know? really? <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, she. You know, I've always loved motorcycles. She she was a numerical person, so she could watch timing screens and get the same visual in her head from a timing screen as if you were watching it on TV live. Wow. So she loved the numerical side of it, you know? So How did you guys meet? How did you guys meet? Well, we met. I met her uh February 13th in a in a kind of very cliquey nightclub in Bath called Moles. Okay. And I wasn't going to go down because I was just sick to death of going out and blah, blah, blah. 
But my friends convinced me to go down. So I met them in town, rode my motorcycle in the town. I looked like Chris Bedding in my leather jacket, leather trousers, boots, you know, and my big fancy white shirt. So I looked like I was sort of part Spandau Ballet, part back <laughs> the biker. I had this big fluffy shirt, you know, because it was kind of new romantic time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so I ended up like getting completely trolleyed in there. And I thought, right, okay, so I'll, I'll just walk home. I'll leave the bike down in town, I'll walk home. Anyway, I was at the bar and she came up to the bar because she had come down with some mutual friends mm -hmm. and started talking to me. And I guess I didn't shut up when I was talking to her. <laughs> so I gave her my bus ticket so I could get home. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, here's a bus ticket. It's, it's got one return on it. So if you need your bus, you know, go anywhere in Bath. And I wrote my phone number on the back. Well, that was the last time I saw her. Well, apparently then the following week, I walked through the front door of our home because I was living at home, because most kids in the UK live at home. Yeah. And the phone went. So I walked through the front door, the phone went, I picked up and I'm at bath 313163. And she goes, hi, can I speak to Andrew, please? I'm, oh, this is Andrew. And she goes, oh, hi, this is Emily. And I'm thinking, I mean, I couldn't remember. This was a week ago and I was drunk. And I kept going, kept her talking, kept her talking. Then it all dropped back into place. She said, yeah, we met in Moles. I went, oh, Emily, yes, yes. Then she goes, would you like to meet me for a drink tomorrow night? And I'm thinking, whoa. So I went, okay. So anyway, <laughs> so she said, well, where should we meet? And I said, how about the hatchets in about seven o'clock, which is a pub down in town. Yeah. And, uh, I went, okay, I'll meet you then. Well, anyway, I ended up being like 45 minutes late and she was still there. Wow, that's, I, that's love right there. 45 <laughs> minutes late, that's love. That, why were you late? Why were you late? So she, she told me off and it was like, <laughs> so anyway, we started talking. We were there like three hours talking. And I said to her, I said, you know, Paris has always been one of my favorite places to go. I said, well, her 21st birthday was coming up. I said, how would you like to go to Paris? And she went, okay. She's very much like, no, there was no gray area. It was either yes or no, you know? Wow. So we went to Paris and it was, I, my birthday was coming up on May the 5th. We got to Paris on the, uh, her birthday was on the 20, uh, 20, uh, Hitler's birthday, 23rd. <laughs> and it was, right, it was just a joke. <laughs> God, it was her joke, you know? So okay. her birthday was a, we'll cut that. Anyway, <laughs> her birthday was April 23rd. Yeah. And I said, so neither of us had been with anyone, right. you know? Because yeah. women scared me because all my friends got women pregnant. And it was like, no, I don't want that. So I just stuck to motorcycles. And there you go. There you go. But motorcycles attract women though. Motorcycles well, that's a funny women. thing. But my mother thought I was gay. Which, you know, because I had no interest in women. And you dressed like Spandau Ballet. Yeah, and, and I had this big foppish hairdo, you know, with blonde hair. And I was like D'Artagnan. Anyway, so I, so I, 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 so anyway, neither of us had been with anyone. So the next morning we woke up, she was then 21. I looked at her and I said, do you want to make this permanent? And she went, yes. And we'd only met six weeks before. So I went out. I, <laughs> she, she started crying. I said, I'll be back. So I went out and I thought we were staying in a hotel on Avenue Bosquet in Paris, which is kind of behind the Eiffel Tower. And anyway, <laughs> so anyway, I went out and I bought a pack of bacon, six bottles of Cote de Rhone, box of Tampax and an engagement ring. And came back, gave her the engagement ring, and that was it. You know, we flew backwards and forwards for two years. We wrote letters every day. I carried an email thing because I was working for the Times newspaper group as an ad sales executive. Yeah. And we just wrote every day. And then we were going to live in Bath. Okay. And I lost my job because it was the recession, poll tax, and God knows what else. So Emily had a job here working in San Jose. So we decided that. I'll move here. So flew over here. We went to Carson City, Nevada, got a marriage license. 
and it looks like this cowboy thing, you know? <laughs> you know, it really does. It looks like a wanted poster. And so then we got married in Lake Tahoe, the, the Nevada side of Lake Tahoe on April 3rd. On April 7th, I flew back to, to the UK, filed papers for a green card and got approved for my green card. My father's birthday was September the 2nd. Yeah. And I left the UK on September the 5th, 1990. And I've been here ever since. Wow, what a story, man. That's, that's so, old school. I'm mean, honestly, that's old school. Just like she knew, she, you guys knew, you just knew. How beautiful is right. I mean, wow. I love it. And we were, we were together until she died on May 28th, 2014 from cancer, oh. you know? So. Yeah, man, man, that's so, beautiful, buddy. That's a beautiful story. That's a beautiful She was story. a riot. We never went to bed angry. We would have our moments, you know, as people do, but we never went to bed angry and, and she loves speed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing she said that the bank of weeder is not paying for my speeding ticket. And so <laughs> we just, we just, we just lived it, you know? How did, uh, you know, how did you get over the loss? I still haven't really. Yeah. You know, you, you, you do, you put it somewhere in your head. Right. And you have to move on. Well, you try to move on and then events happen where they yanks it back out of your head and brings it to the fore. It's like this whole thing with COVID, this whole thing with being by myself. Fortunately, I have Widget, which is my last link back to her. Um, you just, you just it, it never goes away. It just becomes a different beast. Yeah. And the, 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 the sad memories of watching her die over two years they, they kind of disappear and they're replaced by the memories that you had over 26 years together. Yeah, yeah. 26, you know, because, yeah. because we, we did the whole thing where you, the whole point of this being with someone and we did the death do us part thing. I always thought it was going to be me. So yeah. that, that plan got ruined, Yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, but she was, she was fantastic. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for her suggesting that I went to Laguna Seca that time to photograph testing. How, how much, and this sounds so cliche, but did motorcycles and, and MotoGP, did it kind of save you in a way? It always has. Yeah. Motorcycles have always been, um, always been that, that, I don't know, that out. It's a shame I, I didn't have more motorcycles when she was alive, because she loved them. Yeah. She absolutely loved them. You know, her face was like somebody, she just found a hundred dollar bill when she'd hear somebody's finely tuned Japanese motorcycle passer. She would sit and listen to the dry clutch on the Ducati forever. Yeah. You know, she would sit there and hear that dry clutch of a Ducati clink, 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 clinking on. She goes, that's such a lovely sound. Oh, that's you know? she, Yes, yes. She was, she was a total gearhead, you know? That's awesome, man. That's um, beautiful. That's beautiful. So let's get to you in, 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 in the paddock taking pictures. I look at your pictures, and there's, I mean, there's many iconic pictures that you go, wow. I'm, I don't know if you can see this. I'm going to turn it around here. I'm going to see if you can okay. see this picture. That's the one that's going to be on Matt Oxley's new, new book. Can you see that? Yes. Yes. That, I mean, wow. BT, I want, the, uh, the picture uh, went off. Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, and then go ahead and, I saw, and I saw show the, it to the, the, uh, the main you... camera, too. The main camera? Yep. Okay, hold on. Let me the, get it the, back. the wish you were here picture. Yeah, the wish you. Okay, on that picture. First of all, do you have a do you have a relationship with Rossi at all? No. <laughs> you don't. No, no. No, but all. they know. They do know who you are. Okay. But I mean, no Uchio knows who I am. They do know who you are. I mean, that's. I mean, I've I've been in the MotoGP paddock since 2005. My first race was Laguna Seca in the, in the heat wave Laguna Seca where yes. everybody was, was dying and they were selling bottles of water at $3,000 a bottle, you know, <laughs> where, yes. there it is. where 
where Eric Bostrom at the top of the top of the course could try to do a burnout and the tarmac was melting underneath his weird tire and he just slid around like he was on ice. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, that and so that picture, I he has a particular stance that I like. Uh -huh. There's the helmet thing where he does this, where he pulls the visor down. They all have their little idiosyncrasies, you know, right. their little habits. Yes. And that was just, you know, not every helmet that he's had custom painted for various races is good, in my opinion. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and some of them don't work, but I mean, there's the helmet at Valencia in the year that Simoncelli died, where it's half Rossi, half Simoncelli. Right. And, and he was writing for Ducati, so these red letters. I mean, that's a beautiful helmet, regardless of the, the meaning behind it. Right. This, the, this is Simoncelli meaning behind this helmet. Yeah. And, um, but this just, just worked. I mean, you just, you have to wait and you have to almost battle with, you've got like milliseconds to, to compose and, and try to envisage what you're going to get. Because one move and it's off kilter, you know? Yeah. yeah. One little head flick left or right and it doesn't work. So you just ditch them. There's no point in keeping them, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. But this one to me was just like, and that's, that's why, I mean, I, I sold that as a poster and people bought that for Christmas for everybody. I mean, I'm still selling that poster. Well, your pictures are so iconic. And I want to know what made you or what do you think makes, makes you stand out and be different? Because it's like you have, I mean, that picture to me, and there's another one when he's in his silver helmet. And, and it's almost perfectly placed how his, his gloves are right here. Oh, right, yes. And it's like, it's so, it's, to me, this takes you to a place where there's silence and you could almost, I mean, it's, it's weird, but I think people who, who are into GP understand what I'm talking about. You could almost smell the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the fumes coming up from the bike. You could almost hear the sound, sound of the bike. And as he's getting ready, it's almost perfectly placed. What makes you different or what made you stand out from all the other photographers? What's your calling card? I think for me, it's taking pictures that aren't what I would consider to be fun fan pictures. I always like to, I've always wanted to take pictures that would allow someone to, even if they didn't like motorcycle racing, would right. like the picture. Oh, okay. So okay. it doesn't matter whether you like motorcycle racing or not, there's a human form with these pictures. You've got arms, hands, head. Yes. And even if you didn't know what MotoGP was, you can still like the picture. Yes. Because it embodies color, form, and you know the potential to tell a story if you want to step into it yes you know so i've never i i've never considered my i mean there's this thing called imposter syndrome where i never i've never thought that way but sometimes i think to myself you know how am i here so i've always tried to sort of do better always tried to tell a better story um that's it really i mean it's but it's just, it, you, you know what you want to do. If there's like, I always, always try to leave a race weekend with a handful of pictures, probably no more than five, that really tell the story for the weekend, whatever they are. Really? Yeah. Now, have you ever felt guilty about a shot where you go, ooh, I really, I kind of, like, I shouldn't be shooting this, but, and you take it anyway? Like, maybe there's, maybe you could tell as an argument, or you, maybe you could tell that, say something didn't work right, whatever. Like maybe he's really pissed off and there's a moment where they don't want the public to see because, you know, MotoGP, they do a pretty good job of making it look all, hey, everything's cheery, even when it's bad. But there's those right. moments, you know, where you go, ooh, I don't think we should have saw that. I remember when Sandro Cortese got into it with somebody and he was pissy and he came back and he was, and they gave him an applause. He got, and he went to the camera and he was like, and then he turned around and saw the camera and, and immediately started waving. But that was the moment where you go, oh, that's the real person. So <laughs> was there ever a shot where you went, hmm, I probably, I kind of feel guilty shooting this. Well, not feel guilty, but I would say there was one photograph, because I was at Sepang when, when Simoncelli died. Oh, I remember, yeah. And I've never shared, I shared this photograph. I don't know if you can see it. Bring it down. Oh, I, I, I'm look, I think I'm looking at it right now on my phone. I was going to look at it on my phone. Uh, no, it, it's going clear. Oh, can you fix that, Wyatt? No, we'll, no, 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 we can't. But we'll oh. pull it up in post. Just, yeah, we'll pull uh, up in post. Ha have him email over those. That yeah, picture. just email over. In, okay, in, okay. In post. Yeah. But anyway, 
I hadn't shared that picture. And I and it's from the I just stood behind him. And the yellow towel, I love the color yellow. I mean, mm. I we had yellow cars and you know. Yeah. When I wanted a yellow Xterra, and he said, No, we're not having any more yellow cars because we just keep getting caught. And uh, so so I was stood behind him, and for some reason, everything seemed tranquil. I mean, there's a there's always a huge crowd at Sapang. Right. Loud, yeah. boisterous. But I stood behind him in his, in his head, and I never shared it because it just, it bothered me. But I'm kind of offloading things that are bothering me. And I figured, you know what? If anybody objects, they will tell me. But I, to me, sometimes photography should do, should do a job. It should cause you to feel something. Right. right or wrong, it should cause you to feel something, whether uncomfortable, happy, enlightened, whatever. There is something about photography um, versus video, which is nonstop. A photograph is a moment, and that's yes. it. Yes. You know, and that moment can last forever. Oh, go away. Thank you. Um, and that moment can last forever because it's not a video. You don't need anything else to see a photograph. And I've, 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 I've been reluctant to post that with anything to do with Simoncelli's anniversaries. Because I always feel sometimes there's a little, that's uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Kind of like Nikki Hayden. Yeah. And so World Photography Day came up and I thought, you know, what, pho what photograph has moved me the most? And so I posted it and I just thought, you know, this, Finally, I've offloaded something for me emotionally that I've been sitting on since 2011. I mean, and it's never left my mind. And now it's, now I've kind of purged my mind of that image, man. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, but I think, I think in terms of uh, what I do is, is, I'm, I'm fortunate to do what I do and I love to, it's, it's not about me. Photography is not about you. That's, that's you a know? statement, yeah. Yeah, it, it captures a moment. It's like what you said about video. Video never to me captures a moment like a picture, does, like a photograph does. And, right. and to me, the greatest pictures, and I'm trying to pull it up here because I'm listening to everything you said. To me, it's those moments, and I don't know if, uh, why it's going to catch this uh, on camera. Can you catch that? Why I don't know close J up. Just send, oh, just send it to us. Yeah. And we'll pull, we'll pull it from Nikki, post. Nikki, okay. That's one of them. But it's, to me, it's, there's nothing like that picture of a rider in the helmet, that tight shot. Of, because there's right. nothing but the eyes. The eyes. And to me, and the only one that kind of, when video is comparable, is in Formula One when they're sitting in, and when they're, you know, inside the, uh, inside the, in the paddock and they're inside the car and yes. they got the computer on. And all you see is the eyes right here. And the eyes are right. like this. And to me, those those pictures in that video, it just tells such a great story. And would the thing know, is, no, go ahead, please go ahead. The, the thing is with Nicky, would be he'd always come out of the garage uh -huh. and look at the track every time. It was like a habit, you know. Yeah, they all have habits. He'd always come out, and before he got on his bike, he'd always look up, up, up you know, up track. And it was always something very um, studious about it. It was just kind of like, okay, now I'm in it, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, for me, photography is, is not about me. It's, it's um, yes, we all have egos, you know? Yes, we all love people complimenting you on your, your photographs, which it, it would be, it would be ridiculous to not enjoy that. But you, Matthew Miles gave me some good advice. You know, when I first started out, everybody had photographs with elbow, you know, going around corners, knee down, blah, 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 right? right. Stock photos, nothing wrong with them. Um, but I asked Matthew Miles as it, back, way back when, what sort of things do you want to see? And he said, take what you want to see. And if people like it, they will engage you. And that's all I've done. That's simple advice. You know? it, it, it suits you well. Because, like I said, those pictures, man, they tell that 
just those iconic Rossi pictures. And to know that you don't have a relationship with Rossi, that's the funny part, because the way you the way you've shot him, I thought, oh, these guys gotta be buddies, or he's at least had had a cappuccino with you, but but nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. Not even no, a grazie. No, Not even a grazie. No, no. The only time I really got that close to him was when Emily met him at Mizano. Okay. She wanted to meet him, and that was the the same trip we went to Venice and we did all that romantic stuff. We were romantic every damn day. Yeah. I mean, Valentine's Day is when we took a day off, you know? So beautiful. it was like- That's beautiful. That's you know? beautiful, yeah. Um, but she was so into it. I mean, I'd say she was probably more into it than I I mean, she watched everything bike racing. Yeah. Everything, you know? And, uh, you know, I've, I've never forgotten the look on her face. She came to meet with me to Sonoma, Infineon, or whatever it's called now. Okay. And we were watching, we there was an AMA race weekend, and it was when Matt Maladin and Ben Spees were having their, you know, tussle throughout the season. Yeah, that's, that's, a, so that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, a nice way of putting so, it. Yeah. Yeah. So we walked all the way up the track to where there's a, there's a, where they come off the top corner and they come straight down through and they have this little wiggle before they go into like this little complex at the end. And Emily stood by the wall and Matt and Ben passed. So there's this huge vacuum that passed her. She just turned around and mean, it was like somebody had just given her a million dollars. She, her whole face lit up. It was like, yeah, you know, so. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. I love that. You know, so, so she was, yeah, she was she was my guiding light, and, and she was my harshest critic. Yeah. And uh, but you knew it came so from a good I place. Loved, I, I, but you knew it came from a good place. Yeah, I did. I I just loved her. You know, it was simple as that. It was just consumed with love, and and every every day I woke up with her, and we went and did stuff. I mean. I'd even meet, because I mean, obviously I, I didn't have a proper job. I was, you know, between races. I'd go and pick her up from work at lunch and my tummy would flip when she walked out of the office door to, for lunch. I mean, and that was after 20, 26 years. Every time I'd see her, my, I was just like, it was like a crush still going on, you know? And, yeah. and uh, but yeah, it was, it was good, good time, good time. We talk about idiosyncrasies of riders. Um, what was Rossi's idiosyncrasies? Other than other than the, you know the normal, we see him with the tug and the and the stretch, whatever, well, and and the and the pulling at the crotch, whatever. What was his other? What is the idiosyncrasies of Rossi, of Stoner, Marquez? The things you see that we don't. Well, I think if I'm right, Rossi always puts his gloves on in a certain way. Okay. And he always puts his helmet on in a certain way. Mm -hmm. They all do this thing that is kind of clockwork, you know? Yeah. And obviously we know the crouching down by the bike and the holding of the foot peg. Um, but he, I mean, Stoner's thing was to, to sit and stretch or just be quiet. You know, he just, Stoner was very absorbed in himself. Some riders, you know, they, they, they chat on the, on the grid or they chat in the garage or they just don't look even, like Jack Miller. Nothing phases that guy. He just doesn't, he doesn't, he has no, he has no airs or graces. He's just there. You know, he doesn't, he's not bigger than himself. You gotta um, love Jack. Yeah, Jack called us dickheads. Remember when, uh, when the thing with Maverick was going on? He goes, hey, we get paid to ride bikes and talk to you dickheads. And he was talking to the media and I thought that was great. Uh, yeah, but that's, but that's, you know, I mean, I think most of them are, are you know, Alvaro Bastista would always cross himself before he got on his bike. Um, they all have their little ones, but, you know, well, when, for example, when Rossi does his little bike, you know, when they do the, the, the flag to flag bike swap thing, right? He, he, he doesn't bother to do the crouching by the bike thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I wondered whether that was going to still happen. And it was like, no, that's been junk for that, you know? So, but, uh, yeah, they, I think they will have some of their little things are um, not necessarily terribly obvious, you know, because it's just for them. But uh, now, are, are there any riders you have a relationship with, like, you know, or a, a sort of relationship with? Um, 
Well, they appreciate your pitch or picture. Jackie with Crutchlow. Oh, really? Okay. Jackie with Crutchlow. Randy Depunier. Um, James Ellison when he was in GP. Um, not so much. They, they, they kind of herded out of the way of dealing. Which I, I, to be honest, I've never really wanted to be a fanboy of this stuff. I just, if somebody says good morning, well, they always say good morning. You see them walking into the paddock. You know, there's courtesies and stuff. But I never, I never wanted to be super friendly because that, to me, that then interrupts how you view someone um, you're trying to take a picture of. I mean, yes, I was friendly with Ben Speed. I mean, I, I've known Ben, his mum, and God knows what else. Tom Houseworth, everyone. Um, but to me, I, I don't want to have a favourite because that then enters in... That favourite thing is so subliminal. Yes. And when you take a picture, you're going to take... You're gonna take pictures of your favorites without even thinking about it. Okay. You know. Right. So. But. Uh, now, are, are there any? They, they get to know you. They get to know you. They see you around. Now, and are, are there any riders that? Uh... The joke has always been when whenever I turn up, he said it's gonna rain. You know, so I was actually <laughs> friendlier with mechanics than the riders. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> You know, because that was the joke with Alex. It was just, if you when if he turns up, it's going to rain. You know, so <laughs> and for most of the time, it really did happen, and uh, it was kind of funny. But there you go. Now, are there are there, there any you go. are there any riders who didn't care for a picture you took and told you, or you or you heard it through the grapevine, like they saw you and they didn't think it was favorable? Because you know, like I said, everybody's a little different. So maybe they go, "I didn't really like that picture. I care for that picture." Can you tell them that, or you found out they didn't care for it? No. Never. Um, there was one, I, I can't remember now, one, one writer did want a copy of one of my pictures and it was, I, I can't remember who. But no, I've never had that. I never, I've never had a, a I know that um, Simon Shelley's dad wanted some of my pictures for the museum in Coriano. Wow. So there's, there's like three or four of my pictures there, along with Gigi's pictures um, and, and a couple of others from other photographers. So that was a that was a big honor for me in a funny way that that his dad um, and Gigi, because I guess Gigi was coordinating the whole thing, wanted some of my pictures of, of, of Marco. So that was that was kind of a one of the warmest fuzzy feelings I've ever had. You know, so that's very nice. Yeah, I think so. But um, no, I've never had anybody, you know, take that down. So no, I mean, I've I've always I've always tried to be professional. You know, you definitely do that. You definitely do. Yeah. You're great at that. And but <laughs> whose who's work is it that you enjoy now that you watch? You go. Oh, this guy's good. That you go, oh, I wish I would have got that picture. Or is there one iconic picture you go, I wish I would have shot that. I was just at that corner. Like, is there any? any I think I, I I will say I'm I get tired of the overusage of filters on images. My my images are not filtered per se. They're just I I I don't like messing around with image just because, but that's everybody has their own bag, you know? Yeah. Um there's a there's a guy called Alex. Oh, I can't remember his last name. He's Shooter Bikes. Oh, um, I love Shooter Bikes. Uh, Alejandro, Alejandro from uh, uh, yes. Spain. Yeah. Yes, he he gave he he uh, when he was shooting in uh, in uh, in Barcelona in Catalonia, he he rode me around on his scooter. That guy is great, man. I love that guy. Uh -huh. And 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 he he actually, it's very rare that photographers will compliment each other. It's the funniest thing on the planet. He mentioned to me that he always liked the fact that my images were not were not filtered. Mm -hmm. They were just as they were, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have you have Cormac, you have Rob Gray, you have um, there's a there's a French guy called he works for the FIM. Um, God, I can't remember his name. There's a there's you know they're they're very accomplished people. I mean, it's just you, you know you develop a style. 
And there's, a, there's another guy that I really like out of the UK. He posted a photograph the other day, which was some marshals sat on like a, a berm. I think it was at Cadwell Park. Okay. And it just summed up the racetrack for me. And I told him, and it was like, he was like, it was like, well, thank you for that. And it was just like, but he summed it up. There's marshals, because they do a great job. They're fantastic. And there's fans over the other side of the track. And there was the track between the marshals and the fans. No bikes, but it just said, it spoke to me, you know? So there's a lot of very capable photographers out there. If they only, if some of them would only realize what their work is worth, you know? Yeah. Well, let's get to the let's get to the burning question here. The serious part of this interview, okay? So you, you're ready, you're ready for the hard hitting question here. But um, when are you going to be on Chopped? And can, <laughs> and can you beat Bobby Flay? I, That's all I want to know. Can you beat Bobby Flay? <laughs> now that I you're could. In, now that you're in Texas, can you make brisket? Can you beat Bobby Flay? And will you be on Chopped? So I'm over politics. I'm over watching news. Blah blah blah. Right. Um, and so <clears throat> I, I have cooking shows on in the background because I can listen. I don't have to watch them. I can listen. Yeah. But I find myself sometimes looking at Chop thinking, what on earth are you doing? You know, I just look and go, oh, these are chefs. These are like what I would call proper chefs working in proper places. I'm going, what on earth are you doing? Seriously, it's like, what are you doing? And uh, I know that the time, there's a, obviously there's a dynamic with the, the time and everything. But if you're just watching them, they should know better. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love cooking. I mean, I've been cooking since I was 12. When I, when, <laughs> do you want this story? Please tell me. When I came home from rugby, because um, I went to, uh, Cliff Boys School in Bath. I came home and I guess I spoke to my mum in a certain way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I spoke to her in a certain way and said, where's my tea? Which is dinner here, you know? Where's my tea? And my mum goes, if you speak to me like that, you can cook it yourself. And so I went, all right. So from that point onwards, I would cook dinner, tea. And... Uh, <laughs> and so my dad didn't my my dad was not but my dad was a meat and potatoes guy so yeah. he didn't like any fancy stuff but i would do fancy stuff for my mum and my sister yeah. and i cook you know non-fancy stuff for him yeah but uh, that's how i started cooking and then then when i started traveling with this no what happened next was i was in the ama we went to mid-ohio stayed in a hotel there was a restaurant over opposite that i ate at where everything was brown on the plate Nothing but brown food, brown gravy, brown something. And it gave me, it gave me jip. And at that time, there wasn't porta potties around the racetrack, you know? And so for that, that entire Saturday, <laughs> that entire Saturday, I was in living hell, you know? Because you've got that heat, that humidity, and your tummy's going, <laughs> You know, and so and from that point onwards, I decided I'm cooking for myself, even if it's with a microwave. Yeah. And so, I mean, sometimes I stay. Do you know Andrea Wilson? Uh, I think I do. I think I think I think so. I think so. Which we, we would share sometimes because she worked with the AMA as well. And um, one time in a hotel we were staying in, sharing the hotel room. I did blackened salmon in the microwave. No, on the stove. And it should turn on all the freaking fire alarms in the hotel. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, so that point onwards. So then when I moved to traveling around the world, I bought, bought my own knives in a separate, in my, one of my suitcases, my knives. I always had redundancy. Yeah. So I had the same clothes and everything in one and both suitcases, except in one suitcases, I had knives, spices, aluminum foil, shrink wrap, and various other things. So whenever I get somewhere, I go to a supermarket, shop indigenously, create meals, and then, you know, cook for whoever was staying with me. Like David Emmett would stay with me and I cook for him. Oh, yes. 
I would, love, I would love to be at a dinner with you and David Emmett and just sit there and believe it or not, just be quiet and listen to you guys. That man works his ass off. Excuse my French. Yes, he does. I mean, no, David Emmett is great. I had him on the show. I was so nervous. It was almost as nervous as interviewing you because Dave is so smart. And I was like, I didn't want to come off stupid. And he was, and <laughs> it, it, it came off great, but I was like, oh God, I didn't want to ask him for the show. I was like, this guy's so smart, but it worked out great. But Dave is, uh, he's a treasure. David doesn't eat meat, but he eats fish. So yeah. when we were staying in Italy, on the way home from the track, because we would carpool, we'd stop off in a supermarket. I would buy all my fish and everything else. And then I would cook fish for, for David. And he liked his red wine when he's working. And I'd cook that. And then, you know, I would go to bed around two o'clock because I'd fall and pass out on the sofa. I'd say, well, David, I'm going to bed. He would, I'd hear him go to bed at 4 a.m. And we had to be up again at 7, you know? So the guy works is works really hard, and I yes, I, I love I love him to death. You know, I mean, he's yes, I do too. I, I respect that. He's my hero when it comes to this, and he, I, I he deserves more recognition from the powers that be. That's what I feel. So yes, I I, I think so too. I mean, you know, him, Matt Ox, Matt also. I love Matt also, but I just have a more relationship with Dave, and I I feel the exact same way uh, that you feel about Dave. I think Dave is a a treasure. He is a and his wife who she is 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 fabulous too. I mean, she's she's a doll as well. So you know, the the pair of them, you know, they've been a part of my life for a very long time. I mean, so it's it's like family almost, you okay. know. So look, before we wrap it up, I you know I, I put it out there on the uh, on the Instagram and my Facebook or whatever and Twitter. Thank you by the way, and I asked for some questions from the fans. So to show I'm a fan person. I'm going to ask you the question that the fans have asked, okay? So, um, and this is one for me, by the way. The first one's for me. Who's a better cook, you or Simon Crafar? <laughs> I don't know. I would, I, that's, that's a tough one because it all depends what your style of cooking is. I mean, I, I think he's good. He's probably better at grilling than me. Let's put it that way. Okay. I, I, I like getting into the sauces and fancy stuff. So, what's the spice that you don't leave home without? What's the spice that you have to have when you travel? You have to have it. It's a necessity. I have. It's a. I travel with zatar, which is a Middle Eastern spice, oh, and it's, it's you can it's just fantastic. You can mix it into butter, add it to fish. You know, whatever. Um, and I would say another thing, which is I, I usually travel with chipotle crushed chilies. Oh, that sounds delicious. So, oh. so yeah. like, but I stop buying, I stop buying wine when I travel. So when I travel, I buy olive oil now. Because it's, oh, you know, you can buy some really fancy olive oils in Spain, especially. And so I don't, I come back with olive oil versus wine. Well, I'm a simple country boy from Oklahoma, so I go with ketchup and uh, lemon pepper seasoning. I, ha I have to have those two, <laughs> and I think I'm good. It's good old-fashioned ketchup. <laughs> if ketchup can't make it taste, if ketchup can't make it taste good, it's shit. It's pure shite. Okay. But when I when I go to when I go to Spain, I do buy a lot of saffron. Okay. I mean, because saffron is expensive. So when I go to Spain, I still have saffron. That I bought five years ago in, in little packets. So okay. okay, it does last. So. Okay, and here's a question from the fans. Okay, this one's from Neil Cameron. He goes, "Why won't Dorna let you back to doing your job and photographing MotoGP?" It's the paddock. It's the the clamp down on the paddock. I think that's what I mentioned earlier. The fact that they're, there's a, I mean, I'm hoping this thing it Kota goes ahead. You know, yes. I think it will. I think it will. But but we all know what the situation is like here in, in Texas. So yes, yes. not going. But work. it's just a question of it's just a question of that the paddock is is clamped down, and they they want to keep the number of people in the paddock to a certain amount, which right. is frustrating as hell for me because, like I said, I can travel anywhere, and I'm, I mean, I've I've been the only credentialed annually credentialed photographer from the USA since whenever. Yeah. You know, so it's me and Matthew Miles. Matthew Miles is the only credentialed, annually credentialed journalist 
and me, I'm the only annually credentialed photographer from the USA. So wow. we'll see. I mean, you, you can't you can't beat yourself up over it because you'll go insane. But it's frustrating. But there we go. I get it. Okay. Next one comes from Mark Jackson, and he's a three-parter. He goes, "What do you like about living in the USA? What do you miss about the UK? And uh, will you re remake?" Will you will you remove will remark from Valentino's time? Well, oh, what do you remember from Valentino's time in GP? So, what do you like about living in the U.S.? What do you miss about the U.K.? And what will you remember about Valentino's time in the, in the, in, uh, in MotoGP? Living in the U.S., the lack of CCTV cameras <laughs> <laughs> from a man who wants to rob a bank. Yeah, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The lack of CCTV cameras. I mean, they're just, I mean, here in Texas, you can drive without seeing the damn police car for an hour. Tell me where that is, because I'm going there. Tell me where that is. <laughs> anywhere around last, here. The last thing I want to see anywhere is Anywhere around here. I, I mean, I, my, my doctor's is 40 minutes away from where I live. And I go, I can, you can go along that road and there's just no cops on that road, you know? Okay. But, uh, what do I what do I miss about the UK? What was the second one that was? Yeah, yeah what do you miss, what do you miss about the UK? CCT cameras. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I I suppose I miss it, in all seriousness. Yeah, there's cameras there everywhere, and it's ridiculous. But I, you know that's the way it is. I would say the countryside. Yeah. Because the countryside in the UK is 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 beyond beautiful. Yes. Yes, it is. Um. Dairy products, the cheese in the UK is fantastic, and pubs. Okay, okay. I, I, pubs, dairy products, and CCTV. Okay. And, and what will you remember about Valentino's time in uh, GP? I still maintain, and there's a picture I have, that, that the, the, the past moment in Laguna Seca was, was, was a classic moment. But what was even more classic was, at the time when you could get to the barriers in Park from A, mm -hmm. he go, he comes in in Park from A and he's there talking to Brett and all the you know whatever's going on there and Uchio, and he's laughing. I mean, he's talking so loud because he's obviously all juiced yeah. up with adrenaline. Right. And then he goes over to to Stoner, and Stoner's really pissed at him, and you could just see the you could, by body language you could just see. There's Rossi looking all happy with himself and there's Stoner not looking so happy with himself. And then he comes back and I have a picture of this. I can share with you if you like. Rossi's walking back across part from me towards me with his yellow towel over his face, like sniggering into his towel. <laughs> Brent Stevens is there laughing next to him, but he's the face on his, he, he looks like a little imp that's just stolen something at Christmas, <laughs> you know? And, but he's kept that, He's kept that impish, boyish, uh, naughty boyish behavior for the entire time. Yeah. Even at his age of 42, you know, he still looks mischievous. Yeah. Yeah. And he's given the sport a lot. And I mean, I just, I just, I just think, you know, the, 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 the amount of entertainment that man has provided to the crowds is, is unfathomable. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, that's my favorite moment of Rossi. I mean, I can send you the picture if you'd like to have a look at it, oh, but uh, yeah, please do to back up that, that, that story. But, uh, okay. but yeah, that, that to me is my Rossi moment. Cause I was in part from a, and it, you could hear, you could hear stone. I don't know what he said, but you could hear his voice and you could hear Rossi going, you know, like, <laughs> and then he grabs his yellow towel that he always gets in part from a, and you can see his face, and he's going, you know, like he's stolen the last cookie on the counter, you know. So that that's that's you know that's my little moment. I I will treasure. And who was your favorite? Was, was Rossi your favorite writer to shoot? No, I think all of them are for me. Okay, okay. I don't. I think, like I said, I think having a favorite interrupts your thought creative process. Right. But I all I think they're all incredibly talented and. Um, I would say Stoner was Stoner and Mickey were two writers that are great to photograph. 
just because of the way they handled the bike. Yeah. You know, just because of the way they pushed that bike. I mean, watching Stoner throw, I mean, just just manhandle that thing. Like, it was like like somebody, it's like ballet dancing on a knife edge, you know? It's just... Nobody rode like Casey. Just, Nobody rode like Casey. I mean, for all, I mean, I love Rossi, I love Marquez, I love them all. But when Casey rode, it just made you go... <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and it's just, it just, it's just incredible. I mean, no, hang on. <laughs> That's my agent. No. <laughs> <laughs> one more question. One more question from a fan. Uh, when are you going to start filming the next 007 movie? Because, you know, everybody, oh. everybody knows you're a stud and, and you want to do that big bank heist. So when do you start filming the next 007 movie, you stud you? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, we're battling like me and uh, what's that? What's that guy's name? Um, oh, I know his. Um, um, he was in uh, Cowboys versus Aliens. No, uh, no, I was, I was thinking of Edris Albert, whatever his name is. So oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, so we'll we'll see. You know, <laughs> I gotta I gotta work on my tactical skills. But, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, before we wrap this up, Andrew, first of all, I want to thank you so much for this. I mean, this was, it was so funny because when you said yes, that's when the nervousness happened. I go, okay, I got Andrew really coming in. I go, he's a photographer, but how you it's going to translate? And I knew it would, but I just got nervous. Like, I knew it would. <laughs> and I just, I, you know, I just love, I love this. And I love talking to all my guests, no matter what the background, but it's just, when it's MotoGP and it's, and it's, and it's somebody I know, but I want to get to know, know them even more. And it's just, I just love this. I love this chat we had. And I just, it went even better than I knew it would. And I just thank you for letting me come in and, and seeing behind the process. I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I can't wait to see you in person when I come to Texas. I, I, I look so forward to it. You're, you I mean, you're a friend. And I mean, that from about not just right. like show business, like, hey, buddy, you know, I mean, no. You are a friend, friend. Every time I see you on the paddock, you always have a nice laugh, and we have a good talk. And I even know you're you working. and Alonzo. Yes, and Alonzo too. But we're talking about me and you. We'll, we'll get to Alonzo later. He, he's good. He's, he's, got, <laughs> he's got money in the bank. Alonzo's good. But I'm, 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 I'm talking about me and you. So I appreciate everything you've done for, and I appreciate you being nice to me and everything and coming on the show. And before I get out of here, I want to ask you, what is your favorite? If you had to choose, if you had to choose, what is your favorite meal of choice? If you had to choose. Well, I, I make the best roast chicken in the world. Okay. Roast chicken, this is one of my, I can just crank an eight. I mean, I can crank most eight, but, but it's roast chicken with, with pasta shells, toasted gruyere and chives. Oh. And it, it's called poulet roti or gruyere and cheese in French. And it's, you turn the chicken in the oven, you get a nice small three pounder chicken, cook it, the skin's crispy, Chicken is all tender, and you serve it with pasta that's tossed with Gruyere cheese and chives. Okay, I'll cook it for you one day. Uh, I'm 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 like Dave. I don't eat meat. I'm plant based now. I'm all. Well, that's fine. I can do that too. I okay. can do something similar. I I made I, I roasted cabbage the other night with with uh, with uh, plant based sausages and yes. made a sauce with chipotles and uh, tomato paste. You're on, buddy. You're on. Yes. The one racetrack, the one racetrack. If you had to pick one racetrack to shoot on, what would it be? Oh, I love Phillip Island. Is there not a more beautiful racetrack in the world? No, I, and I mean that. The whole experience there. I've been going there since, every year since 2005. And uh, it's like people down there are my family now. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I, I love the place. I love the people. The, the track is fun. The weather can be a bit harsh. But uh, it's it's a good gig to go there, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's a good gig. All right. When it's all said, the last one. When it's all said and done with Dave. When it's all, I mean Andrew. When it's all said and done with, how do you want to be remembered? I don't know. Someone who made people smile. Oh, you definitely did that. You definitely simple did as that. that. Somebody that oh, I remember him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I've got. I, I, I truly believe in leaving someone with a good feeling regardless of your orientation politics religion whatever it's just 
I would just like to think that somebody thought, yeah, I remember he was all right, you know? I know that's right. Yeah. And, and the, fact, that, yes. the fact you can cook. Yeah. Then, well, you're definitely living with, with, with a good feeling in their heart and their tummy. It's not rocket science. <laughs> you know, it's not rocket science. You just be nice to everyone and leave them with a smile. You know? God damn, that's beautiful. I mean, that. that's beautiful, Andrew. I appreciate you, buddy. Well, you. I appreciate your time. I cannot wait to see you. I mean, it from the bottom of my heart, buddy. Thanks for and this. Thank is you. Gonna, they're going to they're going to love this. I'm, I love this as it was happening. So I just feel like this was a classic. I feel it was a classic. I, that's the way I feel about it. This is, I'm going to cherish this moment. I, I got the warm fuzzies all over. So, yeah, thank you for the time. <laughs> really Careful. Careful with those. <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much, buddy, for your time. I appreciate you. I appreciate you guys for watching Tales from a Gemini. Thank you so much. Give me your feedback, your comments, with good or bad. I don't care. I just appreciate you guys watching. Thank you so much. And like I said, by this time, you know the word. Pay.